You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. This weekend, we're closing out the series. We've been in this series. This is the third weekend. As we close out the series, I believe that that impromptu makeshift um, hallway dining table serves as a powerful um, picture of what happens when regular people, just like you and me, are willing to take neighborly risk. What happens is that... um, uh, it opens up the opportunity for the love of God that has captured us through a very simple yet risky kind of way. I mean, nobody could have come. Uh, but it opens up the door for that love that's captured us to get begin to flow out from us to the people that we find ourselves with in any given situation who suddenly have become our neighbor, whether it's in our neighborhood, at work, wherever it might be. But it also enables us to carry out Uh, live out Jesus' command to to love our neighbor. And that's what we've been talking about the past two weeks, and we'll finish that out today. Um, As I said, we're closing out the series today, final message. But before I move in that direction, I want to take just a little bit of time to talk to you about what will begin next weekend. Uh, Next weekend, we start a a new series, a six-week series. It's a study in the book of Ephesians. The series is called God's Work, Our Walk. Um, in my opinion, uh, and I, I think commentators would agree, that the, the Paul's letter to the Ephesian church is one of the most spiritually rich um, uh, books of the New Testament. It's said that the, the Paul's letter to the Ephesians actually embraces uh, the full scope of the doctrines of Christianity. And we need to understand what those, those are. Um, in the first three chapters, there's six chapters. In the first three chapters, what we find is, is very, very deeply theological. And we need that. We can't brush over the theology of our faith. We need to dig into it. We need to understand what that means because it's like a rich treasure chest. But then when we look at the final three chapters, what we find is it's very practical and it focuses on the behavior of the believer. That's really important too. So it's not just about knowing what the Bible says. It's not just about the theology, but it's how do you take that and cause it uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit to you begin to, we begin to live it out so that we're actually living scripture. We're, we're living the word out. Um, one of the things that I love about Ephesians is there's a, there's a reoccurring phrase, and it's in Christ. Uh, in Christ uh, occurs throughout the, the, the six chapters. And this is why it's so important, and I hope we understand this in, in a brand new way beginning next week, that it's important that as believers that we understand that our identity is only in Christ. Our identity alone is in Christ. Christ is our foundation. And when we came into salvation, when we came into relationship with God through Christ, we were reconciled to God in Christ. And and so it's it's the foundation of our life that we recognize this is our identity. The reason I wanted to talk to you about it this week is I want to give you some homework. Um, It'll be good, fun homework. It's not going to be overwhelming. Um, as I said, Ephesians has six chapters. I'd like for you to begin tomorrow by reading one chapter of Ephesians a day. So that when we come together next week, we would have all read through the, the, the book of Ephesians. And as you read, don't read it as maybe when you were in school, check mark, did the homework, speed read. Don't remember what you read. But instead, what I would ask is that as you read, you would read really slow. That you would ponder, that you would meditate, that you would go back. It, maybe it would take you 
30 minutes, 45 minutes to work through one chapter, just depending on how much you ponder and how much you meditate. And the point would be that as you are taking time now to, to read, to ponder, to meditate, to pray through the scripture, that the Holy Spirit would uh, speak to you before we even come together so that it, it causes our, our, our learning together to be exponential and we move together. Uh, I don't know if I want to say at a rapid pace, but, but a pace that uh, the heart's already prepared for it. So that, that's your homework. Uh, that's what's happening next week. I do have a message that I do need to finish up today. So I'm going to pray and then we'll move in that direction. Would you pray with me? Father, um, we come to you in Jesus' name. And, and Father, thank you for your, your presence in this place today. It's been so obvious. Um, thank you for a worshiping people who have created a, a, an atmosphere, an environment where you, you love to live and dwell and, and uh, pour out your spirit. And I thank you in advance for uh, what's happened in this room today in the lives of people. Uh, Father God, I ask that now as we continue, uh, we anticipate that you would continue to speak to us by your word and by your spirit. So we submit ourselves to you and uh, we, we just, we, we want to learn. So uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 So... Um, when Jesus gave the command to the disciples, which we read in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, that's the abbreviated version of it, go and make disciples, not only did he give them and give us a command, uh, but he gave us uh, our mission. And not only did he give us our mission, but within that mission, he gave us our call. And that call is that we are to live our lives uh, joining with God in his mission to love the world. That's what, that's what we've been called. That we live our lives in and through that mission. In other words, that we would live a, a missional lifestyle. And at the foundation, at the core uh, uh, of that mission, of that lifestyle, is disciple making. So Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and make disciples. That was, that was a, a, a command for the church. So that means that everyone in this room who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you've been commanded to make disciples. And some, some might say, that's, that's what the, the staff does. They, they make disciples. Well, that's not true. There's not enough of us to make this, all the disciples that need to be made. Disciple making isn't hard. Here's what it means. I'm reading meditating, pondering on the word, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach me. I'm learning from others. I'm being discipled. And because I'm being discipled, I'm just passing on what I'm learning about God's word. Uh, I, I, we've heard one, put it one way. You just need to be one chapter ahead. If, if you're one chapter ahead, then you just teach, you pass on what you've learned. And that's disciple making. And everyone in this room, you're, you're, you're capable of doing it. You've been gifted. You've been called. You've been, you've been, you've been given a, a, a mission. And it, it, it's a very missional lifestyle. Quite often, the commandment in Matthew 28 is, is referred to as the Great Commission. Matthew 28 
Great Commission, go and make disciples. Now, I want you to hold on to that word, the thought of commission for a moment. It's going to be very important this morning. Um, hold on to commission. In Matthew chapter 22, in fact, if you would take your Bibles and turn there or on your phones, however you get there. Matthew chapter 22, um, Jesus gave us yet another command. It uh, begins in verse 34, it goes through 34 through 40. Um, I'll give you a second to get there and then I'll read it. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34, it says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we see that we've been given yet another commandment, and that's to love God, to love other, love God with all of our heart, and to love others in the way we would love ourselves. I think it would be safe to say not only is that a commandment, but it's also a commission. We've been commissioned, it's in the same thing, we've been commissioned to love our neighbor. And then, yet again, if you'll turn to John chapter 13, John chapter 13. Jesus gives a a new commandment. John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So yet another command, but it would be safe to say in the same theme, not only a command, but a commission that says we are to love our neighbor. And in fact, I would say that this command, this commission is actually the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of the gospel. That as people, we would love God with all of our hearts and that our mission is not only that we would love God with all of our hearts, but the love of God would overflow from us into such a way that we would, we would love our people. So that, that, that's the foundation uh, of the church. Jesus is commissioning us to love our neighbor. So, why did I have you hold on to commission? Where am I going with this? Well, in the same way that Jesus commanded us and commissioned us to to love our neighbor, um, he's asked us to join in his mission. Having said all that, today I would see this final message in the series as more of a commissioning message. That 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 we've been commissioned. I recognize from Scripture, Jesus has already commissioned us So I'm not commissioning on his behalf, but what I would see is a recommissioning. In other words, that somehow by a work of the Spirit, uh, through what we've been learning, that, that somehow the level, the depth of what we've understood or our understanding about loving our neighbor would come up to a a, a new level and that there would be a a stirring, that there would be an awakening, uh, that there would be a... a a reigniting of a passion inside of us that we would recognize this is no small business. This wasn't just early childhood Sunday school, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But God commanded us through Jesus. He commissioned us that we are to go into all the world and make disciples, that we are to, we are to be people who are working together to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. That's what we've been called to do. He's commissioned us. 
So today that we would be so stirred by this that there would be a new effectiveness in us is that when we're out and about and doing what we're called to do, that we, we take it more serious than ever before. And we recognize that even the smallest things that we do have the ability to help people see the love of God. I want to take for just a, take a moment to talk a, about this co commissioning a little bit more. And I want to do so by talking about the difference in launching something and commissioning something. And maybe the best way to do that is to just spend a brief moment talking about the difference in launching and commissioning a, a naval ship. Um, when a naval ship is launched, it is simply placed, it's, it's finished and it's placed in the water. And the, 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 the company, the organization, the shipbuilders actually have the authority to do that. They say it's, 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 it's water ready and it's complete as far as we're concerned. And they literally place it in the water. Commissioning a naval ship is something very different. Um, the shipbuilders have the authority to uh, launch a naval ship. But the builders don't have the authority to commission a naval ship. A naval ship can only be commissioned by the authority of the U.S. military. And when a naval ship is commissioned, it's commissioned with authority, but it's also commissioned with a purpose. It's commissioned with an assignment. A, a, a naval ship is actually built for warfare. A naval ship is built for battle. And so under the authority of the U.S. military, they commission that ship with an assignment. And that ship becomes fully equipped. What happens is that that ship is loaded up with the arsenal, the artillery that would be needed for battle. And the captain and the crew, the officers, would be trained to be battle ready and to understand how to utilize all that's on that ship, that naval ship, that would be uh, used in warfare. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a process of, of preparing them, uh, of equipping them. And then it's already in the water, but then it's commissioned out with an assignment. So how does that apply to you and I? Well, we've been commissioned. And for us to be commissioned is uh, that we've been commissioned by Jesus to be released into the purpose, the mission, the assignment for which we were made. I want you to think about this. I want to carry it just a little bit further. Um, think about, um, so, so Jesus at the end of his ministry, that's when he spoke the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. I want you to go back to the beginning of his, his ministry. So he calls the disciples and as he's with the disciples, he begins to teach them. And not only does he teach, but he, he models them. He spent three and a half years equipping them for the mission, for the assignment, for the battle that they were going to enter in, uh, that, that they would go into all the world and make disciples. And as he's equipping them, he also, he also says this, and this is John 13, 34 again, where it says, uh, and, and there's a new commandment I'm giving you, love, love your neighbor in the same way that I've loved you. That's how you're supposed to love your neighbor. Again, he was laying the foundation for the church. The foundation of the church is love. So he had spent three and a half years with them teaching, modeling, equipping them, equipping them, getting them ready for the mission. And then at the end of his ministry, at the end of three and a half years, before he's ascended into, it's after the death, burial, and resurrection, before he's ascended uh, into heaven, and he speaks to them and he says, um, uh, you're, you're ready. I, I'm, I'm sending you out. 
I'm commissioning you. You are to now go into all the world and make disciples. That was no small thing. That was no little thing. That you are to actually go into all the world. That there's to be a multiplication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you're going to have to make disciples. Because it's going to take disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. In order for this to to reach the world. And that's still what's happening today. Is because discipleship uh, continues Uh, And should continue that the gospel can continue to reach all of the unknown. All of the hidden people groups of the world. That everyone would know. So we've been made ready. Here's, Here's where it gets personal. In the same way that Jesus commissioned the disciples. He's he's commissioned us. I love one of the things we're going to find when we look to Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 1. It says we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's profound. Not you will be. Not one day when you get to heaven. But because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have been given every spiritual blessing in heaven. In other words, we have already provided for us everything that we need For the mission and the assignment that we've been placed in. We have everything we need to do the warfare of life. We have everything that we need to be people who are joining with God in his invitation. To see the kingdom of heaven break through on earth. That's really, when you think about it, this is what the art of neighboring is all about. It's about seeing the kingdom of heaven break through on earth. God has equipped us. He's given us all that we need. He's made us battle ready. Listen to this. He's placed us in the water, so to speak, that we have the living water of the Holy Spirit welling up in us. Welling up in us and outflowing to the people around us. He's made us battle ready. Now, there are three things that I want to tell you about commissioning. I think we need to know about commissioning. And here's the first. Um, He's commissioned us because he believes in us. It's very easy for us not to believe in ourselves. You know, the star players, you know, the people that get picked first. it's, 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 It's very easy not to believe in ourselves. But because he's chosen us, it means he believes in us. So we need to go back to our identity and recognize we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, there's no reason not to believe in ourselves. Colossians 3.3 is one of my life verses. Uh, for, for you died and now your life is hidden away with Christ in God. Do you, do you recognize the power in that? We die to our old way of life. We died to the, to the old person, the, the sinful person. We died with, to that when we came into relationship with Jesus Christ. And now the Bible says that our life is hidden away with Christ in God. We are in him. We are surrounded by him. We have everything he ne- we need. And so with that, we are people who are... Uh, let me ask you this question. Do you believe, when you think of the news you hear, what you read on social media, the newspaper, uh, if you watch the news, whatever, that, that, that the world we live in, there is a spiritual, dark spiritual force at work in our world. Raise your hand if you believe that. There is. If you don't believe it, there still is. It doesn't matter if you don't believe it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter Ephesians is, going to, is going to go so good. 
It's so good. So we've, we've been called in our mission. So it would be easy to say, oh, we have a mission. No, listen to this. We have a mission in which we've been called in, 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 in seeing the kingdom of God break through on earth. We've been called to engage with that battle, with that, with that, with that enemy. We do it through the power of Jesus. And we can't do it on our own strength. But we've been called to engage in this warfare. And we confront the forces of darkness at work in our world. And we advance God's kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is, is, is in us because Jesus Christ is it. So with the kingdom of God at work in us, we go forth and we just let that flow out. But we're fighting a, a, a battle. Um, so... Uh, He's, he's commissioned us because he believes in us. The second thing that I would want to say is um, uh, the Great Commission is a co-mission. It's a co-mission. In other words, C-O-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. In other words, um, he's, he's invited us to join with him. We don't have to do it alone. Remember last week we talked about uh, we are not responsible for the results. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I do not have the power to see another person's life changed. The only thing we can do is let the love of God flow out from us. Use the wisdom, the discernment, the spiritual gifts that are in us. Let them flow out. And then the Holy Spirit does the work. So the results are on us. So remember the weight is removed. It's a co-mission. He's, he's walking out. He's empowered us by the Holy Spirit. And the third thing I would say is that as the church, the body of Christ... We were built to be a battleship and not a cruise ship. Let me say that again. Make sure you caught it. We were built to be a battleship and not a cruise ship. What do you, how many people have been on a cruise? Raise your hand been on a cruise. Cruises are great. I mean, they're fun. There's just always happy music going on. Rest, relaxation, karaoke, whatever you do. <laughs> whatever you do. The poolside, you know, all, all of the stuff. And then there's food. And then there's food and food. There's literally food available 24 hours a day. That's not how the church was created. You see, it's so important that we, we, we affirm our commissioning because we were built not to be a cruise ship, to be a battleship. But the problem is when we look at the church of the Western world or when we look at the American church, Far too often, the church of the Western world, the American church, functions more like a cruise ship than a battleship. It's interesting how people choose where they go to church. What will appeal to me the most? What will feed me the most? Me becomes the center. And the reason... Uh, I believe the reason that the church moves from being in that battleship mode into being the cruise ship mode is because we allow self to override the mission. Self over pref, uh, self preference overrides the mission. And listen, we were called to something much greater. We weren't called to self preference. We were actually called to. We love ourselves and loving ourselves is by denying ourselves of those desires and those passions and those things that keep us from the God with us kind of life so that we can, we can engage in the battle. We can engage in the warfare and, and so that the love of God can, can flow out to us. So our life is about loving God and loving other people. But too often the church just doesn't function that way. And here's the deal. 
uh, tying this all into the art of neighboring, it, it's not, the challenge isn't always in knowing that we've been commissioned. The challenge is in um, trying to figure out how to live it out. How do you move from the, the, the theory, we've all been commissioned, to the practice of we've been commissioned and this is how we're supposed to live our lives. In fact, when it comes to neighboring, um, knowing where to start can be one of the most difficult steps. I'm in the notes now in case you were wondering. Uh, it would be one of the most difficult places to know where to start. Uh, and so sometimes because we can't figure out where to start, we can't figure out what to do. We don't do anything. We're immobilized. We, 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 just, we just stop. So ideally, this is what should happen. This is what the art of neighboring looks like. There are three levels of, uh, I don't know, well, I don't say that, the three levels. So we would want to see ourselves moving from stranger to acquaintance to relationship. Think in terms of loving your neighbor. So you want to move from stranger to acquaintance, to, to relationship. So what's stranger? Stranger is the person that lives in your neighborhood who works in your building. You're aware that they're there, but you don't know their name and you don't have any conversation with them. You just, it's like, you know, I know that that, I see that person, that person I saw at Walmart, I know that they live three houses down from me. I don't know who they are. I, I don't know anything about them. I don't know their name. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that they live there. That's stranger. If, and you want to move from that stranger place to an acquaintance. So acquaintance is suddenly when you've at least learned their name so that you can have an acquaintance kind of conversation. So for instance, it's when um, I'm out walking my dog and, and I pass Tom and I know Tom's name. And because I know Tom's name, um, I don't know anything about Tom. I don't know that there's a Lisa. I don't know all of those things. But what I know is I can say, hi, Tom. How you doing? Isn't this great weather to be out? It's so much cooler. Uh, I love, uh, what a great dog. And you, you say something back to me because you know my name. Hey, Stan, it's good to see you. Hope you have a great day. So that's an acquaintance kind of relationship. Uh, I, let's, let's be honest. Um, one of the greatest hindrances to not moving forward in relationships is, is not knowing somebody's name. Or when you've had a conversation with them and you've asked them their name. So I meet this, this fella at church, and I say, and then tell me, your name, Tom, Tom Hummel. Okay, Tom Hummel. And then I walk out to my car, and when I get into my car, it's like, I have no idea what his name is. I have to confess, I wasn't even really listening when he told me. I mean, that's what it amounts to. And so what happens is we become, uh, the next time we see them, we're kind of embarrassed because I don't want to admit that I don't know your name, but I, I'm not willing to humble myself. And so instead of walking up to Tom and saying, hey, Tom, how you doing? It's like, oops, I don't know his name. I'm going to go this <laughs> duck into the bathroom. <laughs> you laugh because it, 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 it's true. And so what happens is time after time, the, the deeper you get into that, you feel worse and worse and worse. And you go like six months out, I met that guy. I don't know his name, even though he told me. So I'm never going to talk to him. That kind, of, that kind of ruins it all. So what should really happen in a situation like that is that I would go and say, I know we met last week and I, you told me your name and I can't remember. Tell me your name again. Tom, Tom Humble. I'm going to remember that. Uh, one of the things Pastor Trish does is she associates uh, the name of a person that she meets with an animal. Tom, what would your, what would your, <laughs> we, you don't have to answer that. Uh, we don't have to, we do know that um, Marty recognizes that Pastor Aaron would be a pigeon. It's a long story, long story, go back, you talk to him and Marty about that, but that's, it's, a, it's a true story, there's really something there. Um, so 
so you move from stranger to acquaintance, but then you really want to take it the next step. You want to move into relationship because that's where it really begins to happen. The problem is there's no one size fits all formula for moving into relationship. It's, it's, it's much easier said than done. There's, there, there's no tool, but there is a great example uh, in scripture. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read to you a very short story. And uh, starting in verse 27, I'll read through, through uh, verse 32, 32, 27 through 32. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the unhealthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what's going on here? Jesus is out and about one day. He, he walks by the tax collector's roof. There's a man sitting there. I, we don't know if he already knew his name, but what we know is that man was Levi. If you read the gospel of Ma uh, Matthew, you find out he was also known as Matthew. He passes by, he sees him, he notices him, and he speaks to him. That in itself was taboo in the culture because the Jews considered the tax collectors as sinners because they were extortionists. They took far more tax than was due. And they became very wealthy in that. And so uh, they were treated kind of as outcasts, but not Jesus. Jesus speaks to Levi and he says, Levi, will you leave all of that and will you follow me? And what Jesus was really saying is, Levi, will you leave? Are you willing to leave everything that you're identified? Are you willing to leave your wealth? Are you willing to leave your status as a tax collector, even though you're despised? Are you willing to leave that and walk with me in a continuous, constant path, walking the same road that I walk? And with that, Levi says, yes. And he gets up and he leaves that old identity. He walks away from that and he begins to follow Jesus. He is committed to Jesus. He's been captured by the love of Jesus. So now, because the love of God is overflowing in his heart, he wants all of his friends to meet Jesus. You have got to meet this man, Jesus. Uh, and so what does he do? He throws a party. It says a banquet. I think it was a great big party. And when you consider uh, who his friends might have been, other sinners, other tax collectors, other notorious people, uh, that guest list at that party, let's say that party, they weren't eating pizza and drinking Mountain Dew. I mean, seriously, it wasn't a church social supper. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus is coming. Everybody clean up. But th they did what they did, I believe. And Jesus was willing to go into that situation. He was willing to go into that situation where the people weren't church-going people. They weren't showing up at the temple. They weren't showing up at the synagogue. He was willing to go. He knew what they were, and he was still willing to go there. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, and I was taught you don't hang out with those kind of people. And there is some truth to that. I mean, 
when you're trying to figure out your walk with Jesus and you're, you're being equipped and you're getting, uh, you're getting the word in you and you're learning your identity, you need, to, you need to be with people who will build you up. But there comes a point in time where we have to carry out the mission and that we would be so sure, so confident in who God has made us and that we could walk in strength of that, that we would be willing and we would be able to go into situations like that because those people are lost and those people need Jesus. The Pharisees get wind of it. They complain. And I love what Jesus says. He really doesn't defend himself. He goes, look. He said, think about it. It's not the healthy people who need a doctor. It's the sick people. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. I came to call the lost. So let's think about that. Levi had an encounter with Jesus and his life was changed and the love of Jesus began to flow out from his life so that he could let that overflow to the people that he had befriended prior. We don't know what happened that day, but we do know that they saw light. It would have been like Jesus walking into a battlefield, the dark forces of the world and bringing light. And it all happened because Levi was willing to take a risk. He was willing to invite Jesus in. Uh, It's been said that uh, Levi uh, has the first recorded block party of the New Testament. He may have the only block party found in the Bible. I don't know. Uh, But he he did something. You know, oftentimes they're called Matthew parties. uh, Where uh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, But but he, he he was willing to do that. And so oftentimes it's easier said than done. I'm getting ready to land a plane. However, moving from theory to practice is possible if, here are your feelings, if we're willing to embrace the risk and take the first step. When we watched the video earlier, she took a great risk by taking that table out in the hallway because it's possible that no one would have come. It's possible that someone would come and said, get that table out of the way so I can get to my place. She took a risk. And I, I, I know it was all fiction. I know. But it's a picture of what can happen. So she took a risk. And as a result, there was a gathering of people. She created an environment. It's possible if we'll recognize that small sacrifices can lead to great opportunities. It's not trying to figure out all the grand things to do, but what are the simple things that you can do? What are the simple but intentional acts that you can do? Um, it's possible, but we must be aware of motive because motive matters. Listen, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we've been converted. There's a big difference. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we've been converted. And finally, practice the golden rule. Do to other people the same thing that you would want them to do to you. Let's end this way. The art of neighboring is about helping create a sense of community where life is shared, people are affirmed, and love is experienced. Um, personal confession. Uh, before this series ever began... I didn't want to do it. I was not looking forward to it. I'm going to talk about being a neighbor for three weeks. I mean, how much can you get out of Mr. Rogers? I I know a movie's coming out. But really, I'm thinking, but what I began to do is to say, God, I I need your help. Holy Spirit, I need you to speak to me. And then I realized it's foundational. 
the Bible has a lot to say. The New Testament has a lot to say. The Gospels have a lot to say about our neighbor. That we're supposed to love our neighbor. And it's the foundation. So, so I began to see this whole thing in a new way. That truly loving our neighbor is foundational for the church. Because we're supposed to go and make disciples. So with that, uh, my heart, my goal is that we would all be renewed in that. That we would begin to be more aware and sensitive uh, to, to how to do this. Uh, the first week of the series, someone said, can you provide us with some practical ways to do that? And at the um, uh, Guest Central, there's just a few of these. It says 10 creative ways to get to know your neighbor. Just 10 suggestions on here. Maybe you want to pick one up and see if any of those would apply to you. But now uh, we've finished the series. I'd like for you to stand. I want to pray for you. Father, uh, thank you that you have invited us to join you in your mission to love the world and to see the kingdom of heaven break through on earth. Uh, I thank you that you've commissioned us and I pray that we would be recommissioned uh, in our passions and that we would be more effective than ever in loving our neighbor. Father God, we present ourselves to you uh, and we pray that we, we would just recognize we're not in it alone. You're, you're there with us and you're empowering us by your Holy Spirit. So we're going to do what we're supposed to do, what we need to do, what we've been commissioned to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.